Hello, welcome to Let's Get Down to Business with the Prince Rupert and District Chamber of Commerce. We are here to give a voice to our local business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders to strengthen and support our local business community and to share the wisdom and experience of longtime business leaders and the fresh ideas and experiences of new entrepreneurs. So let's get down to business. Welcome everyone to Let's Get Down to Business. My name is Daphne Thompson and I am here with the most amazing, incredible Blair Miro. Welcome Blair and thank you so much for joining us. Um, Let's get down to business. So before we even start, would you just give us a little bit of an intro about you and what you do and your amazingness? Because I I read your bio and I was blown away. Yeah, you read my bio at the chamber lunch too, and it was kind of humbling how how nice you were to me. Um, My life story, just in brief, I'm born and raised here in Prince Rupert. Um, For the last 10 years, I've been working with Kitmakmaka Niska Society. Most people know us based out of the Niska Hall in downtown Prince Rupert. Um, we are also the owners of Bob's on the Rocks, the Port Ed store, as well as the recently opened Yaga Cafe and Garden Co. in Seal Cove. So we kind of have our, our fingers in a lot of different pots in town. That's awesome. But tell me a little bit about more about you. What, what did you study? I remember you did a master's in... Um... Interdisciplinary studies. Yeah, I yeah. did that at Royal Roads with kind of a focus on Indigenous social entrepreneurship. Um, that was a bit of my background. And then I did an undergrad in international development, which is effectively socioeconomic. So I'm, I'm applying both of those degrees. I know a lot of people take a degree and then do something totally different. I actually get to use a lot of my university background in my day-to-day job, which is, which is pretty exciting. And then prior to my work with the NISCA Society, I was also the grant writer at City Hall. So my kind of the project that I'm most proud of working on there was the Cow Bay Marina and, and Breakwater. You wrote that grant? Yeah, I did. I actually, I got to do the market research as well. So they sent me up to Alaska to basically do the business case for how many itinerant vessels were transiting past Prince Super but weren't stopping. So I was kind of a naive, bright-eyed kid going up and doing a bunch of bar- market research in, in Ketchikan in south- Southeast Alaska. I got to come back, write the business plan, and then go and write, write the grant application. So it was a lot of fun. And then actually... The, uh, right after I was done as grant writer, I started the NISCA Society. About a year and a half later, I got elected to council. So having got to write all the grants and get the project funded, then when I was sitting on council, I had signing authority to actually sign the check for the contractor to install the breakwater. So it was a really cool kind of full circle project for me. You see, that must have been just such an amazing feeling to know that literally end to end you were involved in this amazing um development in town i was just one small part of it there was a huge huge thing that made it all happen but it, it is kind of cool to play it apart from diff- totally different uh time frames and and perspectives so yeah it was great <laughs> i think great is an understatement that was phenomenal so tell us also a little bit about the growth of the society that you are right now um i know that you you basically went from zero to two million in revenue in less than 10 years um also from about six employees to more than 50 that is incredible specifically in the uh, the climate that we are in right now of mm. of uh, candidate scarcity and employee employee scarcity so what's your secret <laughs> i don't know if it's so much a secret uh but we did we have certainly carved out a very unique niche 
um, our strategy has really been buying uh, or acquiring existing small businesses that have a solid track record in town, more often than not end up having owners who are trying to sell as a way to exit. Um, they, they want to retire. They've spent a lot of time and energy and money in building the business to where it is. And either they're, they're tired and exhausted from all those years of effort, or they're just at that point in their lives where they want to exit and, and you know, see the next chapter, hand over their baby for, for the next phase of its life. And that's been a very unique niche for us. We actually, the only, the only business that we started from scratch was incorporating the cafe into our existing garden center. But we purchased the garden center, which had a track record since 1991. Bob's on the Racks had a, had a track record since 2004. And then the Port Ed store has been there since the 1980s. So each of those acquisitions, you know, ha there was so much opportunity with each of them, with so much money being left on the table, so much opportunity to create jobs. Um, and all it really came down to was having some extra time, some extra money, some extra energy, and a, a, ultimately a larger team. Is you know, we have our own finance department. I have help on the economic development side, the finance side, marketing and advertising. It's not just me having to do everything as a standard, you know, traditional small business owner. And that's really helped us kind of scale our impact. Um, and on the labor side, like the, there's no real secret sauce to how we're being able to grow to 50 employees in a tight labor market. Ultimately, all it comes down to is we say to our entire team is we care just as much about our people, the, the people that work for us and our customers that we serve as we do about making a profit. And that's just a totally different philosophy than any of your major corporations that are focused on how do you maximize financial returns for shareholders. For us, the return on investment is how do we actually make the community a better place while we're doing business. So that's that's been our our strategy to try to attract people is just to become an employer of choice by treating people the way they deserve to be treated. And how did you come about this niche? Um, I'm sure with your degree and your research, you must have had some rabbit hole that you followed in order to get there. But what was that? The the start of it was. Um, my former boss just laid down a challenge and said, go, go make a million dollars. And for me, I, I had to go out there and in a town in Prince Rupert, you know, 13,000 odd people, you know, very reliant on per related economy. When you look at the opportunities that are out there, uh, it became very clear to me quickly that there's a lot of small businesses that are doing, you know, surprising understated amount of business in town. Like they're generating pretty good cash flow. Um, but it's people a lot of the times that are starting a side hustle and it's growing beyond their capacity to manage, or they've done it for 20, 30 years. They've seen the best and the worst of Prince Rupert, and now they're just wanting to get out. So once I saw just how many businesses had people who had a succession plan and didn't have anyone willing to step up and do it, I realized we had a really unique opportunity. So it was just trying to leverage the fact that we're a community owned organization and our, our mandate is to create jobs first. Profit pays the bills. It keeps the lights on It makes sure that we can meet payroll. It helps us grow. Um, but ultimately job creation is, is the business that we're in. Hmm. All right. I want to, I want to take a step back when you said that, um, there are some of this, these entrepreneurs that does it as a side hustle. Mm -hmm. and that it kind of just becomes so big uh how do you what advice would you give to any kind of entrepreneur 
um, when they are in this this transition period of yes, I do have a full time job, but I'm also following my passion. So mm -hmm. when do they make that transition? When do they take the the leap of faith to step full on into well, my hobby is now becoming my job? That's a great question. Uh, I mean, in our case, the metric was does does this business have enough cash flow that it can pay everyone and you can actually make a meaningful amount of money on the bottom line. Um, and if you can, if you really are truly following your passion and you're doing something that gives you energy instead of takes your energy, you should be leaning into that as much as you can. Like it's, it's the amount of people that we've hired that have said, you know, my former employer, I just felt like a number and, and here I felt valued. That's the type of thing where we can say we give, we try to put people in positions where their day-to-day -day life gives them energy instead of takes energy from them. So if that's the situation you find that you're in as, a, as someone who started a side hustle and you're really enjoying what you're doing, but you're just not sure you can make a go of it, build out that business plan as much as you can and try to project out what is it going to cost me on a day-to-day -day basis? How much money do I need to live and support myself? And then on the flip side, really, if you're, if you're enjoying that passion, that side hustle that you're taking on, can you generate the cash flow necessary to cover those living expenses? Because if you can design a business plan that can do that, then then that checks all the boxes. That's a win-win-win. Well, you've clearly been able to do that, which is phenomenal. So how do we do that? Uh, in our case, it, building out the business plan, really, it comes down to just kind of the basics. Like the, the, the old... Uh, the old phrase that my dad always taught me growing up was the five P's, which is prior preparation prevents poor performance. Mm. And I try to take that philosophy into everything that we do on, on the business planning side, because when you think about the way that the world is going, it's very clear that traditional retail is no longer the, the force that it once was. I mean, you're competing with massive economies of scale with, you know, Amazon and Walmart. So you can't compete yeah. on the pricing side. The online shopping is so convenient for someone to just log on any time of day or night, order, have something, uh, you know, ship right to their doorstep in a couple of days. So we've had to basically transform our thinking that business is really customer service experience and service. That's really the way of the future. So we try to really focus if we're focused on experience on sense of place like bob's on the rocks you think there's location is the is the number one asset that that place has yes the fish and chips taste delicious and we try we try our best to have you know a, a, a really good uh menu that try to serve as many people as we can but ultimately it's the location that sets that place apart so how do mm. we best possible customer service experience for people that they would choose us over mcdonald's for example um, the garden center, another interesting example. Someone can go online and, and buy seeds from, from any other type of supplier, probably for 50 cents or a dollar cheaper per package than we could supply. But what we offer that you can't get online is really good quality customer service and really educated staff who can actually speak with some level of knowledge around answering questions that people might have. So that's really how people need to be starting to restructure their business plan is the, the niche that you're trying to carve out. It can't just be, here's how I'm going to compete with Amazon on prices or Walmart on, on prices and availability. It has to really be, this is how I'm going to offer a better service or better quality customer service experience to set myself apart. So the, the joke we have internally is like, 
yes, we have our, our fingers in a whole bunch of these different businesses, Fort Ed Store, Bob's on the Rocks, the cafe. Ultimately, we view ourselves as a customer service company that just so happens to sell garden center products, that just mm -hmm. so happens to sell fish and chips. And that's a totally different operating philosophy. Yeah, it's like um, McDonald's, which is technically a property company that happens to sell fast food. Exactly. It's it's more lucrative to own the real estate on where the burger is cooked than, than yeah. making a few cents on the burger itself. That That's amazing. I love also what you said where preparation meets opportunity is where success is born. Absolutely. Yep. So how do you, what would you say in, in okay, in anyone today that's listening to this, um, that aspires to step in and in, in follow these footsteps, how can we prepare and how do we create our own opportunity? Because you kind of created an opportunity here. It didn't just fall in your lap. You did the research. You were able to study different things. You went and spoke to a lot of people. You had a, I, I know you had a bunch of conversations. You had a, a little bit of a gut feel. Say, what happens if I, if I do this? You, you tread on a little bit, and I know that you got people and a team around you that believed in you and that supported you. Yeah, there's, there's a lot built into that question. I mean, my, my first reaction is like the, the gut feeling is one thing. That's where it starts is you, you see an opportunity. It might align with your passion or you might see that it's quite lucrative and you want to pursue it. You have to test all the assumptions that your gut is telling you. Like, I mean, you think something's a good business. Why do you think that? go out and talk to the people who actually have some experience in a related industry or a related business and try to ground truth those assumptions that are built into that gut feeling. Why are you feeling so passionately about something? Is there really something there? That's the first step. I mean, people honestly thought that like when I first presented the garden center to our board, they, there was a few of them that actually thought that I was crazy because they looked at this <laughs> falling apart, the concrete foundation, was cracked there was no insulation in the walls there was duct tape holding up certain parts of it um you know the, the place needed some significant love i just what i saw was an incredible amount of potential because there's there's certain businesses that you can offer very unique products like the garden center i mean we didn't experience much competition in the in the local market in that front but the property itself was so unique in seal cove it was one of the only fee simple properties available in that whole area and if if anyone gets a chance to go down to seal cove to see what we've done down there i mean that's that really all comes down to a gut feeling ground truth against the, the what was happening in the garden center industry which was this big pivot from retail to service so <laughs> building out from there really it's what we had to see was what was working as a best practice in other locations because Prince Rupert is unique in a lot of ways but there's mm -hmm. always lessons that you can glean from people who have done things well and so for us it was really simple things like a lot of garden centers were, were doing really well expanding the service subscription side of their business which is either lawn mowing or you know weeding garden beds and, and that type of revenue and that to us was so clear as an opportunity because it was also able to maximize the job creation side. So that's really yeah. where most of those, that initial job creation came from. And this is just a funny whole full circle thing, but um, the way that my boss was convinced that we should buy Azalea Gardens at the time was because I had helped pay my way to university cutting lawns in addition to grant writing at City Hall. 
So you're literally like, oh, okay, well, you've cut lawns, you've done that yourself off the side of your desk. I'm sure that you could just manage your garden center. And it, it was kind of naive of us at the time, and there were some really hard lessons learned, but that was that was the perfect combination of us kind of seeing a future for growth and then really just being able to put the time and money into building it out. I think that answers your question, or I hope it does. No, it does. What, what I really love, as you said, is um, kind of you put your own if sweat, sweat, blood, and energy into something. You went to cut lawns first. That's where you kind of got the the first idea and the feel to it. You did the work yourself first. Mm -hmm. And then you were able to really express that emotion and that passion to someone that has got influence in order to set you up for success. Definitely, yeah. So how, how would you say, how do you seek out that type of relationships? Because this wasn't, a, I'm sure, this wasn't a relationship that just popped in your your lap. It was something that had to be worked on. It was a relationship that was built over time. Um, yeah. You lit, There was deliberate decisions that you made in order to get the relationship to where you were. Yes. So how, how do you seek out those opportunities and those relationships in any business owner to help them set up to six, for success? In our case, there was there was a couple of different relationships that had to be built. So on the on the the first and most obvious is probably our internal team here. We all had to be on board with something. We all had to be excited about it. I, I wasn't ever going to push us into something that a lot of us had hesitations about. We all had to build that consensus internally. That was the first thing. So applying that to a small business owner. If, if your partner or your friends and your family don't see the opportunity that you see, you your job is to convince them and, and have them share in that passion and excitement. Because if you can't build them to that, I, you're going to have a much harder time building strangers up to seeing that same opportunity. I'm not saying don't go into business if your parents don't support you or your partner doesn't support yeah. you. But really, you need to spend some deliberate time on trying to, to get people to share in that excitement. So that was the first piece. For us also, we have an elected board of directors who are making these major financial decisions. It's not just me waving a magic wand. I'm, I'm really just the guy that writes reports and recommendations. They're the ones that have to actually put pen to paper and you know, sign the checks and make these major decisions. So building that relationship of trust was really important, especially on the first one, which was to say, we have a very solid business plan. Here are all of the assumptions built into our business plan. Now you grill me on every single assumption and I need to be able to defend why I think this percentage growth in this month or this percentage growth in this particular profit center and ask all of these very specific questions. And if I can't defend an assumption that's based into our business plan, I have to go right back and keep working on it. So that's how I built a relationship of trust with, with our board is so that they knew that I was prepared um, and that I had thought these things through so that if there was inevitably in any business, there's things that are uncertain that you have to pivot against or towards. Um, at least they knew that we were going to be prepared. And then the, the third relationship that's really important to build for us in acquiring small businesses from people who are retiring, they've built something that they've put so much of their own personality into and it's literally like selling off a, a baby to a certain mm. extent how how can you let go of something that has been a part of your primary identity for a long time and that's actually one of the most 
the rewarding experiences that I've had in this job is getting to meet these folks who are trying to retire and telling me why they got into business in the first place. What was motivating them? What did they view as the as the next chapter or the next opportunity that they just didn't have the time or money to pursue themselves? Um, and so I'm kind of feeling like I'm getting to live a little bit vicariously through them and building that relationship where I can just say, hey, you know, here's kind of my vision for why I think like Bob's on the Rocks, perfect example. People clearly wanted to have more seating. That's not that's not like a radical departure from from what the former owner was doing. And that was clearly what she said to me is, you know, if I had the time and money, I would love to build more seating. That would be great. But she also had a full time job outside of what she was doing on top of owning Bob. So for us, that was a clear thing where we could say, okay, well, we're just going to build on the success of Bob's. We're not going to change the recipe. We're not going to change the staffing. We're not going to change the menu. We're just going to build more seating up front on the waterfront. And and that's paid massive dividends. And I hope that the, the seller can look on her business now and say, I'm proud of, of where it is a couple of years on. That's amazing. You, you touched on quite a few things, but what I heard in the, the very last example with Bob's on Rocks is that you made kind of a very small tweak a 20 percent tweak that rendered an 80 percent result pretty much yeah yeah um and that, that's what i feel in a lot of businesses it's it's not necessarily the massive things but it is the small tweaks it's you didn't change the strategy you didn't change anything else all you did is basically built on what is already there literally and, yeah yeah, yeah. You, you didn't go and reinvent the wheel all yeah. you did is basically improve the infrastructure that is already there you probably applied new learnings and new technologies that what you've learned within the university and what is currently out there to your 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 use but the strategy or the all-around strategy didn't change it was only the adaption to what is current and modern yeah and actually you hit on something there that i think is worth highlighting for particularly in in the year we're living in um, is technology plays such a key role in what we're doing here um, and it is the way of the future so for me i'm 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 very much a, a data geek i, I love analytics uh, particularly looking at at the sales side of businesses and what products are selling well you know hours of the day days of the week you know all that different type of stuff just fascinates me in in consumer behavior and so that that is one specific tweak we've made to every single business that we've acquired is bringing in a new point of sale system. So you can imagine with Till Tape, if anyone watching has experience with Till Tape, it's very difficult to know which products are selling well, which products aren't based on, you just literally have to look at the shelf and see how many you have. Yeah. For us, we've brought in a point of sale system that I can see, like for example, at Bob's on the Rocks, the best selling product is the two piece halibut and chip. I can see how many of those are being sold every day. I can see the times of day, I can see the days of the week. So then I can actually forecast what are the busiest days and the busiest times of day so we can staff ourselves appropriately. And that, I hope, has done something in reducing wait times there because Bob's was so popular at one point last summer that we were having 40 minute wait times uh, at the dinner rush. So we've kind of changed our, our schedules around that data. Um, we've done the same thing at the garden center. We've done the same thing at the cafe. We've done the same thing at the port ed store because that's really helping us. It's informing better decision-making just based purely on 
the data. So I would really encourage anyone who's thinking of going into business, find a way to actually be able to keep really good data of your sales. And that's going to help you make better decisions on how to grow. I love what you said, because what we are able to do with based on the data and based on um, uh, all this research that have been done and people that are actually working in there to also see what the feedback is, is you have been able to create a system that is now repeatable and sustainable so that you are technically decreasing the cost of what you have in order to increase profits by just making better taking like buying but selling decisions and, and more than profit for us it, it all comes right back to how do we create the best possible customer service experience because like money talks and, and bs walks right like yeah people can tell you anything that you want to hear but really what are they buying when are they buying it how much are they paying for it that's really telling me the experience that people want to have so if if the shelves are empty of a particular product that's been quite popular that doesn't reflect well on us so that that technology piece that point of sale system it's it's crucially important for what we do i agree uh, it, it's and it can, it can be a complete game changer within any business but Absolutely. i want to you also mentioned previously that about how you had to communicate with the board and how you had to build trust there is there also a responsibility on the board to ask the right questions in these things in order to build trust oh definitely i mean I and mean, trust always goes both ways i i trust our board implicitly but i'm i'm actually really quite lucky so we have five elders on on our board um and their cultural wisdom their historical knowledge their just the reason that they're all there is not for political self-interest it's purely for how do they do right by their own community. There's 1,400 Nesca citizens living in Prince Rupert and Port Edward. A lot of people don't realize just how big the, the Nesca community is here on Cayman Island. Um, I I, tr I trust their judgment, and I trust my own ability to give them as much information as they need to make a decision. So that trust really does go both ways. And and I hope I'm not I'm not I can't claim to speak on their behalf, but I'd like to think that you know that it was it was harder to convince everyone in 2013 when we were trying to start like we had no track record mm. even, the, even the credit union who helped get us into business we have no track record when we're going into them saying we want to buy a business that was the hardest barrier was really how do we start this whole thing that take that took the most amount of convincing the most amount of paperwork the most amount of building consensus compared to bobs on the rocks was like as close to a slam dunk as you could get which was everyone recognized the value of the name the brand the location they saw a future for the business we all had like you know a, a shared buy-in to what we thought was priority that really didn't take any convincing all it really took was here's my proposed business plan which is essentially let's not change the things that are working well and let's do slight improvements on the things that we think need improving whether that's outdoor seating or the physical design of the menu mm. Um, the trust had been built over, you know, eight years of, of successfully growing these businesses to the point that the, the questions that they were asking me on the business plan was really, you know, when are you going to get sweet potato fries on the menu? <laughs> because we need, we need some options for folks, um, stuff like that. So they're, they're really truly invested in the outcomes of, of all of these businesses. Uh, when you, we, when you start talking about different businesses, all of the businesses that you guys are taking over is currently very much in a similar field. 
like it's it's Yaga and it's Bob on the Rocks and it's a convenience store. They're all very similar. Would you advise any business owner to rather keep to one specific product or one specific lane, or would you encourage diversity? That's a very good question. I it's a bit of a paradox for us. Um, I mean, having a diverse revenue stream obviously protects you in the event of downturn. And that's that's why we've been able to get through the, the pandemic relatively unscathed. We didn't have to lay off a single person as a result of the pandemic. Um, but we certainly didn't make any money. We were essentially became a, you know, a, a break-even enterprise across all of our profit centers. That was fine by me. We didn't have to lay a person off. That was, was what we did. But that was only because we had a pretty diverse revenue stream. But by the same token, I mean, where we are today is really not by design. Um, we didn't really plan on buying each of these individual businesses when we set out to do this back in 2013, 2014. But by the same token, where we are today is also not an accident because we we have some pretty clear uh, frames of reference for the types of businesses that we wanted to acquire. And food security has been top of mind for our board for a long time. And that's what I think unites all of these different businesses is they all have some way that they can touch on food security. So a simple example at the garden center, we have a hydroponics greenhouse grows you know 600 units of, of fresh greens every single week we harvest twice a week over the course of the pandemic when people were were when we were so uncertain and trying to stay at home as much as possible we ended up delivering over thirty thousand dollars worth of fresh greens to um, elders and families niska families in in prince rupert um, that was something that was only possible because we were trying to keep people employed through the pandemic and we needed a place that we could actually send those fresh greens if people weren't going to come physically down to the site um, and that's just one example. So, I mean, to me, I think if I was giving advice to a small business owner trying to either, you know, turn their side hustle into a full business or start their own business or acquire another existing business, this is part of the paradox of it all. I would actually recommend focus. Don't, don't do what we've done and try to spread yourselves super thin and have this, you know, eight or 10 different profit centers. It makes much more sense when you're starting out to try to do one thing and do one thing really, really, really well. Um, that's how you'll build a reputation and a track record for success. And then you'll find by focusing on that one thing, like I'll use Bob's and the Rocks as an example again. There's a whole bunch of ideas on what we could do to expand our revenues down there. And is anything from, you know, let's go buy some canoes and kayaks and rent them out of the floats to we'll do guided tours of Rushbrook Trail to who knows what there was just a ton of ideas and ultimately what we came to is if you go down and you look at the bobs on the rocks menu it fits on one very simple page and it's like a little trifold brochure and i think there's only something like 20-ish menu items we've done that very very purposefully because by focusing on the one thing that you do well which for us is fish and chips that's going to pay huge dividends so Focus really is the key to getting started off on a good foot, doing that one thing really well, building that track record, building your reputation. And then you'll see very, very logical next steps for yourself once you've had that level of focus on what those what those extensions are. So sweet potato fries, perfect example. It's like we're already doing French fries. We know how long the drop is. We know how hot the oil needs to be in the fryer. We know how long they need to be in the fryer. Like it, it became such an easy extension for us. I... I 
I love what you said because yes, within specialized specialization, there is profit. I know that's not the the most important, but in any business owner, you kind of go into any business to make money. That 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 is the real deal. You, should, to, you shouldn't go into business to lose money. Yes. Yes. If you've been enjoying yourself and you really love what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, <laughs> all the more power to you. But you don't want to see anyone floating. No. And for someone to take the the massive risk of actually going into business, um, the reward that they do get, part of it is profit. It's not their monthly salary that they take. It's the reward of when on a quarterly basis, if you can take a little extra bonus that, that doesn't affect anything, if you can actually take that extra and go pamper yourself, go for a weekend away, or actually buy that vehicle that you, you want, that's yeah. the reward. Yeah. But if you if you don't have that, then yeah, it's it's probably not the the most fun experience. That's when you we wake up in the morning feeling like an elephant is sitting on your chest. <laughs> but yeah. I, I kind of I love what you said about specialization because in that there is processes there. You know exactly how long the, the chips have to be. Um, you know exactly what's happening, and it is repeatable. So when anyone else comes into it, it's no longer person-centric, but it's system-centric. It's process-centric. So there is a future for the business that's now being put in place. Definitely. And and by I, doing that, so, sorry, and by doing that, you're able to, to reduce the cost, which increase profits. And when you are able to do that, you have leeway to give experience. You have, you, now you can leverage on your customer experience, but also your employee experience. Because it's clear, there's clarity. Every time you bring in a new thing, even though sweet potatoes um, is a logical addition, there's still something that needs to be tested there. Yep. It is a very small tweak, but there's still something that needs to go. So I, I just I absolutely love what you said about that. It's a it's it's a painter that wants to go try and cut the lawns now of the house as well. There's extra equipment that needs to be not done. There's extra learnings that needs to be done. And at the end, is it actually worthwhile diversifying into that? Or is it maybe better to get a collaborative partner that does that? That's, that's true. Yeah, I mean, if I could just, I want to go back just for a second, because you hit on something that I, I, I think is really important to highlight. So systems focus versus, you know, an individualistic type of approach is super important. So by focusing on building a system that is repeatable, our entire goal here, particularly being a community-owned organization with 1,400 shareholders, there's not that one human being that has their own equity on the line here. Yes. Um, so building a system that's going to outlive any specific individual is incredibly important. And so I can't even tell you how many times I've said, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, uh, like I'm confident in the outcomes that are going to happen here. Like People are still going to come to work. They're going to know what to do because we've built a system that, you know, clear expectations, um, trying to put people in places that align with their passion. So like, if anyone got hit by a bus, like we know that we could all collectively pick up the slack. Not that we're wishing that on anyone. No, I, I agree. This is a systems focus. But you, are, you have been at a place where you've set up the organization that it's, like you said, not person-centric so that there's no operational breakdown should life happen in a situation. Yeah, absolutely. And if I could go one step further, recognizing obviously that I, I work for an indigenous organization and I'm I'm I I'm not indigenous myself, I'm clearly and actively trying to work myself out of a job. 
And that surprises people to hear that sometimes. Um, But that's really clearly what we're trying to do is is build internal capacity within this community um, so that any anything that we build as a group will, will outlive all of us, the board included. I, I love that because that, that's exactly what my vision is and what I'm trying to bring into the chambers as well is that it's 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 more system orientated and not individualized orientated mm-hmm. so that if something happens that yeah that um I, I just I love what you how you put it to put yourself out of a job because yes technically that's exactly what we do. We want to set up something that's bigger than you that you are no longer you as the person is no longer needed but the system and the process is in such a place that it can just run and outlive you mm-hmm. and that's what legacy is and the minute you are able to put that in place you know that the community is set up for future our future generations can still benefit from this it is a it's just a beautiful thing and it excites me and what what you've actually not touched on as well is but I, I, maybe that's a, a topic for a next podcast because I'd, I'd love to have another conversation with you. But it is that time of when you have set up your business like this now and you are no longer needed. What do you do with yourself then? Because then now it's a whole new new process that's happening. When when you are able to fire yourself, like you, you think you might have made it. Now you're sitting on the beach somewhere, but that drive of an entrepreneur is still inside of you. What we need to create and we need to build and we need to do. But yeah, that, that's been a topic for a whole nother discussion. But I have been loving to get things down to let's get down to business with you today. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. What would you like to leave our audience with with regards to let's get down to business and their business? Well, great question. What would I like to leave people with? I, I don't want to get too um, too academic, but this is this is really something that it, it's changed my whole way of 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 seeing what business is because traditionally people just view business as a profit making enterprise. Um, and for us, our organization, we we've tried to start to view ourselves through the lens of what's called a quadruple bottom line business. And if anyone's ever heard of like a, what a triple bottom line business is, the kind of shorthand is the three P's, which is people, profit, and planet. How do you generate financial returns, social returns, and, and social good for either your staff or for your customers? And then how do you do right by your environment? And in an indigenous context, the fourth dimension is culture and cultural returns on investment cultural pride in, in operating a business. How do you infuse NISCA philosophy and culture into our actual business decision-making? It's completely transformed my own understanding of the good that business can do beyond actually just providing a basic retail product or service to the community. As businesses can actually become a, a crucial part of the social fabric of, of a community. And so I would encourage anyone who has their idea to start a business or they're working on their side hustle and aren't sure if they want to commit to it, just try to view yourself through that lens. It's how can I contribute to the social fabric of consumer beyond just the service or the product that I provide? How can I actually leverage my business to maximize the impact that I have on either the people that live here, on the local ecosystem, the people that work for me or the people I'm doing business with? Um, that's really transformed my, my whole 
the whole way that I operate now in, in operating our, our organization. Well, thank you so much, Blair. It has been an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, thank you so much. So Thanks for having me. Let's get down to business. Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Down to Business with the Prince Rupert and District Chamber of Commerce. If you would like to be featured as a guest on a future episode, please email us at rupertchamber at gmail.com or direct message us on Facebook or Instagram at Prince Rupert Chamber.